0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. All right, let's dive into John. We are working through the book of John. This is a series we started with John chapter one. Last weekend, we talked about John chapter two, and this Sunday, we are diving into John chapter three. You have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the story of Nicodemus. Um, I was going to title the message Nick at Night, but I think that's just a little bit too cheesy, a little too silly. Let's stick with the Bible. Um, and we're going to be talking about born again. Title of the message is Born Again. You must be born again. This is the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. At night with questions. He had questions. The big idea, this is going to be the thread throughout the entire message. It's this. Come to Jesus with all. Somebody say all. Of your curiosity and heed the clarity that he gives you. Come to Jesus with all of your curiosity, all of your questions, and heed. I know. Do we still use the word heed? Maybe that's just a Bible term. I, I, I do. It means paid attention to what he tells you because there's a lot packed in to both Nicodemus's questions and there's a lot to the way Jesus responds just like last week and we discovered there's a lot more to the story than just a reading of a story there's some really intricate details that are pointing to how we can both have salvation in Jesus and how we can see and experience the kingdom of God and we're going to try to do our best in the short amount of time that we have today to extract as much as we possibly can. I don't believe that you're here by accident. I don't believe that you just stumbled in here. I believe that you came in here through God's divine drawing and I believe that you're here on purpose and that God has a word for you today. I don't know how you came in. For you for some of you you may have stumbled in. Really hurting, really broken, really upset maybe about some relationships or some financial hardships or questions that you have. Well, just as we'll see with Nicodemus, welcome home. You're in a good place. You can come to Jesus with whatever you have, and he welcomes you in. And he is the answer to every question that you have. Maybe you're coming here, and uh, this is just routine for you. This is just what you do on Sundays. This is tradition. I go to church. Well, my hope for you is that We kind of break up a little bit of that tradition and that you actually lean in with a little bit of expectancy that God actually wants to speak to you through his word today. That you're not just going through the motions, but that God's spirit is here. His spirit is present and he wants to meet with you individually. I believe that he's meeting with us corporately. He's already here. We're praising him. His presence is here. We feel him. But I think that he has a word for you today. There's no place like the church. I love the local church, a place where we can come together as saints to worship God and to lean in to know God. All right, John chapter three, it's the uh, fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was a great statesman and inventor, and oftentimes he would receive letters from famous people. This one time he received a letter from a famous British preacher. George Whitfield and this is what George Whitfield was encouraging him in he said i find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world as you have as you have made such progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity now i humbly urge you to give diligent heed there he, he's using it diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth it is the most important and interesting study and when mastered will richly repay you for your pains. George Whitfield is encouraging Benjamin Franklin, pay attention to this thing called the new birth. And this is the first instance that we see the new birth mentioned is right here in the story of Nicodemus. So I'm just going to read one verse, tell you a little bit about Nicodemus, and then I'm going to unpack four illustrations that Jesus gives Nicodemus in, in, in response to his question. Many of you have probably heard the, one of the most famous Bible passages of all time. Can anybody tell me what that passage is? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that passage and we see that passage uh, preached a lot kind of in singularity. But what we don't see is that passage preached fully in its context. In the context, what's surrounding that passage is Jesus responding to Nicodemus. And it can all be summed up in this one verse, how we can know how to have salvation in Jesus and how we can experience the kingdom of God in this way. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life little background on Nicodemus. His name means victor over the people, or his name could also mean conqueror of the people. Pretty intense name. Uh, But Nicodemus, Nick at night, was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. Not just any religious leader. At the time, there were many Pharisees. Pharisees were people that kept a high standard of the law for the people. But beyond that, uh, Pharisees were also, some of the Pharisees are part of what we call the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin were the high ranking officials of the law. This would be like uh, a pastor, a clergyman, who's also the governor. I mean, this is somebody in both a political high rank standing, but he's also uh, a, a pastor, and he's a teacher of the law. So he was a religious leader. People in these types of positions not just the Pharisee, but especially that among the Sanhedrin, would have incredible wealth. They would be very well known. Uh, They would have comfort. And one of the reasons that Pharisees oftentimes get a bad rap is because they would often even have really high control over the people. This is one of the reasons why Paul and Jesus took up such issues with the Pharisees. It's because no, you not only took the law, but you added to the law. And so there was issues here. But Nicodemus, we see him mentioned three times in the stories, but there's not really that much to know about him. If you've watched the chosen, then you probably—how many of you have watched the chosen? You probably know a lot of a little bit about Nicodemus. Then, if you've watched through that series, but there's really not a whole lot mentioned about him other than these three passages of scripture. And then a lot of tradition of what we know about him has been added on. So the the things that we know about him is, is that he came to Jesus seeking. He came to Jesus trying to understand who he was. He had seen the signs. He had heard of who he was. And this is the passage we're studying today. He came to him looking for answers. The second thing in this text we see him doing is questioning. What's going on here? Who are you? And he's asking really intentional questions and Jesus responds to his core need. Then, the next time that we see him in scriptures, in John chapter 7, uh, verse 25 through 44, and this is when Jesus was preaching in the temple. The Pharisees and the chief priests uh, were really upset, and they wanted to arrest Jesus. But here we see Nicodemus stand and seek justice for Jesus. It said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does. So we know from the time that he had this encounter with Jesus, where he was seeking, where he was asking questions. Next, we see him standing for Jesus. And so I would imagine that, and we'll see this throughout a lot of the questions he asked, that there was a change beginning to happen in Nicodemus's life towards actually believing Jesus is who he says that he is. And then the final time that we see him, we see him burying Jesus in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. After Jesus was crucified, he went with Joseph of Arimathea, and they, they took his body. When otherwise, people who were crucified, you would just discard, and you, you, would, you would burn their bodies. But Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate. They said, no, 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 give me the body. Give us the body. And they not only took responsibility here, but they also put forth a pretty significant amount of resources to make this happen by rubbing him in a myrrh and an aloe and then, and then special spices and then wrapping him in linens and then putting him in the garden in a tomb fit for a king, a tomb where nobody had laid. So they took great care here. So again, we see there is something that happened in this moment in the night that led to Nicodemus, not only standing for Jesus, but taking responsibility in burying Jesus. You see, I believe that when when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night, he had an encounter with God, and that that encounter changed and wrecked his life. Everything that he thought he knew was changed, and it shifted in a moment. And so now we see Nicodemus, what I believe to be follower of Jesus. Here uh, in this first part, Nicodemus is coming to him and Jesus responds in a new, in a unique way, in a way that I really love actually, because he he makes preaching really easy here. So anytime I'm preparing for a sermon, one of the things that I do in my sermon preparation is I try to think of illustrations. I do this kind of all throughout the week. I'm reading a passage and I'm like, okay, how can I illustrate this in such a way that People understand, okay, now I get what you're trying to say. I try to take ancient truth, and I try to put them in relevant context by means of illustration. Well, thankfully, Jesus did that for us in this text. And he illustrates the basic understanding of salvation in four illustrations. The first, in verses 1 through 7, is through the illustration of birth, The illustration of birth. I'm going to pause before we dive into this first verse, and I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. We ask that you speak to us today, Jesus. Father, empty me. Speak through me. You be the teacher today. God, I pray for the one that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to you with all of their questions, all their curiosity, that they would seek the truth. And Father, you would reveal it. And today would be the day where every single person that walks out of this room walks out of this room a child of God, free, in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? All right, verses 1 through 8. This is the illustration of the birth. Let's read the story together there was a man from the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews this man came to him at night and said rabbi we know that you are a teacher who has come from god for no one could perform these signs you do unless god were with him jesus replied truly i tell you unless someone is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god how can anyone be born when he is old nicodemus asked can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. As I was thinking about this, the reality of Nicodemus coming to Jesus I was thinking, did he come by chance or by choice? Was he strolling through the town at night and then he bumps into Jesus? Oh, I've been hearing about you. And I have some questions. Or was this a decision that he made to say, I've I've heard about this man before and I'm gonna make a choice to pursue understanding of him. My encouragement for you, I believe that he Did it by choice. He wanted to be alone with Jesus and he wanted to seek understanding of him. That's my challenge for you today as well. Don't just go through life feeling like you're just gonna fall into the right answers of who Jesus is. Make a decision today to say, no, I'm gonna seek God and I'm gonna seek the answers that he has for me. I'm gonna pursue him. It's gonna be a conscious decision. I'm going to make a choice, and I'm going to pursue him. I believe that he was approaching Jesus with a humble spirit, genuinely curious. And I think that's why we even see Jesus respond the way that he did. I really have questions. Nicodemus here uses the word we as if he's representing the group, but Jesus responds ye. He says we, he says you. And he's targeting his heart. A.W. Tozer said said it this way, his heart drew him to Jesus, but he spoke with his head. The Lord ignored his words and spoke to his heart. Now, so I believe that it was an intentional seeking. This was the choice by Nicodemus to pursue God. But why at night? Some may think, well, he cared a lot about his reputation. And Pharisees did care a lot about their reputation. Some may even say, well, he didn't want to be perceived as blaspheming God. Because if he's coming asking questions of like, maybe you are the son of God, that would have been considered blasphemy. And no Pharisee or member of the Sanhedrin would have ever been seen blaspheming God. Also a possibility as well. But I don't see that in his posture at all. I don't see a spirit of of, of fear in his posture at all. I think that is probably more probable that he came to Jesus at night because he was genuinely seeking understanding of who God is, and he had questions, and he wanted to be able to understand the answers. And even some of the questions he asked may have been a little bit of a challenge to have in large crowds where there's people talking, there's people arguing, there's people assuming the worst. But at night, he can have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus and say, hey, I'm really trying to understand this thing. Can you help me? I believe that he comes with a humble, a humble spirit to Jesus genuinely trying to understand who he is. What do you do with the most significant questions of life? Where do you go? I love questions. I'm passionate about questions. I'm an extremely curious person. So much so that my my whole family gives me a hard time about this. I've been this way for as long as I can remember I, I want to know everything about everything. So even if we're going on something as simple as a trip, I want to know when are we leaving? What time are we leaving? How long are we going to go? Where are we staying? What's our plan while we're there? It drove my family so crazy that they just wouldn't tell me of things that are going on because I was so aggressive with asking questions. I would wake up the day and they're like, we're loading in the car. Where are we going? Find out when we get there. I think asking questions is an important part of your spiritual growth. But where do you go when you have questions of the most important things in your life? You may seek books. You may go to friends. You may go to counselors. You may go to therapists. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm saying all those things are probably good. But the place that you should go first and the place that you should go most is Jesus and what he says in the word of god if you're trying to understand who jesus is go see who jesus says he is if you're trying to understand how jesus is calling you to live your life go listen to his words of how he's telling you to live your life there's a, a, a charge in philippians 2 12-13 therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and work, according to his good purpose. Keep asking questions. Keep taking steps of faith, but do it with Jesus. Don't do it on your own. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. I had the privilege of a father, the six. I had the privilege of um, being there when a wife had our first natural birth in our home, in our bedroom. She's such a rock star. It was incredible, and the process of birth is like nothing that I've ever seen in my entire life. It is mind blowing the whole thing, from a human being sticking its elbow out of your stomach and you're like, what is going on? What is this little alien inside of your body that is sticking an elbow out? To the whole process of actual birth. Birth is fascinating, it is miraculous, it is awe-inspiring, and it is incredibly messy. (laughs) I did not see that coming, that's what you're thinking it's messy. The things that are uh, very present at birth is blood, pain, and an incredible amount of effort. Some of you, just when I said, Bud, you're blood, you're like, I'm getting lightheaded, like right now, like I'm about to... Blood, extreme pain, and a whole lot of effort. How much effort did the baby put forth in the process of being birthed or was it more receiving it experienced a lot absolutely but it was more receiving receiving the nutrients from the mother receiving the i mean it was receiving all of the gifts of the mother but it was the mother that produced the, that where was the blood and there was the pain and there was the effort the baby received the blessing the same is true which is a beautiful picture of being born again born anew that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation there's nothing that we can do to be born again in our own effort which this was so radical for the pharisee because this was the plan you keep the law you are in god's favor You earn God's love. But he's saying here, and you must be born again, that there is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing that you can do to earn his love. You can only receive. And the same is true when Jesus went to the cross. There was blood, there was pain, and there was an incredible amount of effort for you so that you might be born again, born anew. Without the new birth, there is no life without the new birth there is no seeing and there is no experiencing the kingdom of god this term new birth this is the first time that we see it but we see it mentioned many times and he references it even five times just here is also where we get the theological term regeneration this is new birth this is old is gone all things are made new this is the regeneration of our spiritual selves. That's why he says you must be born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, maybe you've heard this passage preached before, where the water was baptism. That's not what this passage is saying. This is not baptism and the Spirit of God. And if you want, keep reading into the text because he emphasizes it even more uh, that the baby cannot go back into the mother's womb. This is water, natural birth. You must, you must be born to live. Everybody agree with that? Apart from being born, there there is no life. We can can agree with that. The same is true in your spiritual life. Apart from a new birth, you, you cannot live. You cannot have life. And you cannot experience the abundant life that Jesus has for you. Apart from a new birth in Jesus. The Greek word here, again, is a double meaning word. It's a a word that does mean again, but it also means from above. And I think that that's intentional. So you must be born again from above. From the Father, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a spiritual rebirth that can only come from above. So the first uh, illustration that he gives us is that of birth. You must be born again. The second is of wind. In verse 8, it says, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus responds in a, in, in a, in a funny way here. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus jesus does kind of have a little bit of an edge when he's talking to the pharisees he's like okay so so you're you're pharisee your teacher and, and you don't understand just just as a framework pharisees yes super religious people but how many of you have memorized the first five books of the bible please show me i know it's not true but thank you for thank you first five books of the bible anybody okay how many of you memorized the first book of the bible first five chapters of the first book of the Bible. Okay, so this is a Pharisee who had the first five books of the Bible memorized, who knew all of the accounts of the ancient scriptures, who should have known exactly what Jesus was talking about here. And here he's saying, yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get what you're trying to tell me. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. You see, at this point, even as Nicodemus is saying he doesn't understand, the reality is he is a very learned man. The reality is this very educated man and he is fully aware of speaking and teaching in metaphorical, illustrative language. He he was tracking, but what is Jesus saying here? You do not accept the authority by which I am speaking to you. Therefore, you're, you're blind. You don't understand. You can't see it. And I feel like that's a blocker for many in the room today. Is you're saying, like, I've, I've been trying to understand who Jesus is. Maybe you're trying to intellectually understand who Jesus is, but you do not submit to his authority for him to actually reveal to you who he is. No, no, no. I just want to know more about him. But what if we shifted the posture of our heart to say, no, I want to know him. I submit to whatever it is he wants to reveal to me as truth. That's when the Spirit illuminates your eyes to what he's trying to teach you. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify of what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Jesus is saying, I'm trying to give you a simple simple principle here, and you all understand, well, what, how are you supposed to understand the heavenly things that I'm teaching? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's two realities to wind that I think Jesus is trying to get at here. The first is that wind is a mystery. We we, we can't see it, but we can feel its effects. We don't even quite understand it at times why it moves one way why it moves the other way how it can shift how it blows how it moves slow how it moves fast it's a mystery but then the second that we see is that it's movement it's something we can't see but it has significant physical effects over our lives if you don't believe me then be in colorado during a derecho anybody ever heard of a derecho anybody been riding your bike experience a derecho derecho's are these Winds that coming from the east that are really aggressive, that sometimes stink, that get between 60 to 80 mile an hour, up to 110 mile an hour. You can't see it, but you can feel the effects on your life. You can't control it, but it moves nonetheless. He says, so it is with the Spirit of God. Now, again, this is a radical concept for a Pharisee who likes to control everything. This is a radical concept for a Pharisee who likes to know he is in control. Jesus says, you can't control where the Spirit moves and how he works. You can't even control what he's doing in a person's life when he's in experiencing a new birth. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not the work of you. So he's really challenging something to the core of a Pharisee here to say, You're going to have to open up your hands to what the Spirit has for you and let him do what he does. Change and transform you from the inside out. And then number three, the serpent and the pole. The third illustration is the serpent and the pole, verses 14 through 18. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loves the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the son and the one and only son of God. Lift it up. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, this is the first of three references of lifted up that we see here in John. And this is a beautiful picture. He references Moses. Back whenever the uh, Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, there was kind of a flow. This was God's chosen people. There was kind of a flow and a cadence to God's chosen people. God would give them clarity. He would give them law they would rebel against god god would show grace they would repent god would bring clarity to the law repeat 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 and here we have one of those moments they're in the wilderness uh they're hungry so god gives them food he provides for them they get angry don't like this food don't want this food they're yelling at moses it's chaos so what does god do he sends fiery venomous snakes that bite them and kill many and then they come to Moses and say we're sorry we rebelled again we did it again for the thousandth time help us do something and God says okay I'm gonna God tells Moses he says make a serpent on a rod on a a rod in bronze and put it up and anytime that the people look at the serpent they will be healed I actually have some images that I want to show you of what this might have looked like in that day. This is actually uh, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And I don't know if you can see it in the background. On the top right there, you see a what? A bronze serpent on a rod. See, let's look at another one. There's another image. People getting bit. This guy over here is definitely in trouble. <laughs> but he looks like he's got the muscles to defend it off, but probably not. So there it is. Are you seeing, are you seeing what, this, what this is kind of looking like? There's one more image there that I want us to see. A bronze rod lifted up. Now, does, does this look familiar at all? A bronze snake on a rod? Does this look familiar at all? Have you seen this somewhere before? Somebody said it. Hospitals. You've also seen this on every ambulance that is on the highway today. see that, does that look familiar? Right there, that ambulance from 1999, uh, with the logo right there? This, in Greek mythology, is called the Rod of Asclepius. But if you study Greek mythology, what you really understand is that, and the Greek mythology does this, they borrow from the Bible, you see, the story of Moses and the snake on the rod in bronze was 600 years earlier than the rod of Asclepius. This is where this comes from, is this story here uh, found in Numbers 21, 4 through 9. So for what is today a sign of healing, then in 15 BC was a sign of healing as well. And this was not just a sign for the moment of when you look at the serpent and you were healed. This was both a sign then and a sign to come as one day Jesus would be lifted up and he would be the cure for our disease. He would be the cure for our sin problem. So what do we see even in, in this text? We see that there was sin, there was grace, and then as they look up in faith, they are healed. The same is true when Jesus was lifted up as well. We are sinful people, dead in our sins and in our trespasses. God demonstrates his love towards us by sending his one and only son to die on a cross to be lifted up, to be buried, and to raise on the third day. So that when, through that grace, when we look up in faith, we are also healed on january 6 1850 a snowstorm almost crippled the city of colchester england and a teenage boy was unable to get into the church that he usually attended so he made his way to a nearby primitive methodist church there was an ill-prepared layman there who was substituting for the preacher at the time his text was Isaiah 45, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For many months, this teenager had been miserable under deep conviction. But though he had been reared in church, both his father and his grandfather were preachers. You'll know who in just a second. He did not have the assurance of salvation. The unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say. So he kept repeating this phrase. A man need not go to college to learn to look. He shouted, anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he saw the visitor to the side, and he pointed him and said, young man, you look very miserable. Young man, can you imagine if I did that today? Young man, you look miserable. He'd be like, bro, why are you coming at me? He said, young man, you look miserable. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. The young man did look by faith. And that was how the great preacher, Charles Hayden Spurgeon was converted. I think that the same principle, which I'm not calling out anybody that looks miserable today, but I do want to give the same charge as this ill-prepared Methodist minister. I want to look at you, and I want to say, look up. Look up. Just as the Israelites did in the day in the wilderness where they looked up and they were healed, you too, look up in faith. See Jesus hanging on a cross, dying, paying the penalty for your sins. And by faith, believe in his resurrection and you will be saved. You will have eternal life. The final thought is light and darkness. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Are you seeing a theme of what Jesus is doing here? He gives four illustrations. What are his four illustrations? First birth, humanity. Wind, nature. Then the serpent and the rod we see as well. And then light and darkness. You know, as as a cursory reading of a story, you're like, this is the story of Nicodemus, who was a curious Pharisee who came to God and who in turn seems, it appears, that he... Would believe. But when you take a deeper look into the text, what you're actually seeing is John is doing something incredibly profound here. He is bringing in the entire creation account narrative here into this one story, this one response. Why do you think it was Jesus who said to Nicodemus, You're a teacher of the law and you don't understand this? I'm repackaging Genesis, the very thing that you know by heart, in telling you, I am the Messiah. I am the one you're looking for. I am the one who's come. But he was so misunderstood because the Pharisees were looking for a king of kings who would come to rule in force. But Jesus came as a humble king, born in a manger. One who came to look to serve to not be served. This was the paradox of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, until you understand this, you cannot see the kingdom of God. If you would, go ahead, stand to your feet. We're going to have a a final song of response and a prayer. One of the reasons I love Nicodemus is because I just believe that so many in the room can relate to him. You see stories also in scripture like the prodigal son. Some of you may be more so relating to the prodigal son. That was me. Uh, Kind of at my wit's end. I was at the bottom of the barrel. I was smelly. I was broke. I was addicted. I was all of these things, fresh out of prison, all these things. And then I found God. And you, you re- really relate to the prodigal son and that story narrative found in Luke. But I think for the majority of us, we can relate to Nicodemus. We're the ones coming in that's curious. The ones coming in looking for answers to some really difficult questions. I thought God was this, but when I sought him, I really realized he was this Totally other thing. I believe that's also a lot of our challenge in sharing the gospel in our city, is we're just trying to bring the reality of actually who Jesus is to the city. I think if people actually knew who he was, how could you not want what he has to offer? That's why it's called the good news. So back to the big idea. If you have questions on faith today, and you're really, you've been wrestling with God, come to Jesus. He's the answer. Look up. You may not understand it, but when you submit to his word, when you submit to his authority, he will illuminate it in your soul. Run to the light. Let nothing else be hidden darkness. Run to the light. If you're in the room and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Please do not leave without being born again. You must be born again. Spiritual rebirth, regeneration of your soul. Let that happen today. It's not by your works. Can't earn God's favor. You can't, hear me loud and clear, you cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Cannot be good enough to earn relationship with God. You can only receive the death, burial and resurrection, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's his grace. So I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm gonna invite you to pray the prayer with me. And if you wanna put your faith in Jesus, then don't pray this prayer to me, pray it to him. Faith is you putting your trust in who God says that he is. Faith is you putting your trust in Jesus. So if you wanna put your faith in him today, why don't you repeat this prayer after me to God? Say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you. I confess that I have sinned against you. I believe that God has raised you from the dead. And right now, by faith, I say, Jesus is Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. By your grace, I am saved. And by your power, I am set free. All God's people said, amen. Can you just give it up for those that said yes to Jesus in the house today? It's why we're here. It's why we're doing what we're doing. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.